Charles Adams intended this to be a humorous subversion of the stereotype of the American family, which is why Morticia and Gomez are super into each other, as opposed to like <laughs> other sitcoms where it's funny that the husband and the wife hate each other. Yeah, and you get a lot of like, Wednesday and Pugsley are doing weird things yeah. instead of going to get a paper route. It's like the dark mirror version of Leave it to Beaver. Exactly. <laughs> Ghost. Ghost. <laughs> ghost. Because it is spooky season, so yeah. Because it's spooky season. That makes perfect sense. I'm right there the with you. The spookiest. I'm, I'm right there with you. Ghost. We're on the same page. We got it. But we're not like making pottery that kind of ghost. We're like right, Scooby Doo yeah. ghost. <laughs> Yeah. Not like the pottery kind of ghost. No. Not like the pottery kind of ghost. <laughs> Did you but... watch the Casper movies from the 90s? Oh. I feel like there was like this movement in the early to mid 90s of making children's movies that were like spooky. <laughs> and casting Christina Ricci. And casting Christina Ricci. Because there's like Hocus Pocus and... Mm-hmm. The Casper movies, the Adams Family movies. Yeah. I don't know that, I don't know if we, oh, there was also the one, uh, like the little vampire or something. Little, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I don't, and then I think that trend kind of went away. The Casper movies made me so sad mm. because I did, like, I knew obviously what, what death was and so i just couldn't get behind like beyond that mm-hmm. so as a kid i was like he just really wants a friend and it made me like really sad <laughs> and then all the adults were so mean and it just felt like those movies stressed me out mm-hmm. and then there was a pizza hut thing where if you bought enough pizza you could get like a casper cup oh and so we got one and it was my favorite <laughs> I like that conclusion to the story. And so we got one. (laughs) I'm really good at telling stories. Um, And so we got one. And so we got one. (sighs) Oh, spooky. I love you. There were also just better promotions, I think, in the 90s for like, buy this many Pizza Hut, whatever things. And then you always had like the the Happy Meal toys were always like, well, I think they still do that. Actually, like I think the Happy Meal toys, like they they will do like Marvel tie in toys. But like, I feel like Marvel movies are not really for kids quite that young, though. Like they're for like slightly older kids and teenagers. So I always felt like that was a little weird. But like every new Disney movie that came out, there would be like yeah. the Happy Meal toys to go with it. Like a like a crappy toy. And so yeah. it made it made the whole world seem like a fair or like yeah. a, like, like we're it might, all yeah, they were they were extremely crappy toys. But you know what? I still have I think I still have it. I hope I didn't lose it in my move. But I had this little, um, it was from Chronicles of Narnia, from The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. The little Lucy figurine. And there's like a little lever on her back that you can make her arm move up and down. (laughs) 
Oh that's my all gosh. it did. That's all it did. It made no sense that's at all. That's great. But yeah, that's I delightful. Still have it. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that there's an art to the crappy toy. There is. Um, and they always have kind of awkward looks on their faces. They do. Because <laughs> they're clearly just from like a like generic mold that they just paint yeah. to look like the character. But anyway, we should make a documentary about that. We should. <laughs> Because we have so much time on our hands. <laughs> yeah, because it, it would be so interesting. Yeah, Rhonda. Yes. What in the last ten minutes? What uh-huh. have you been watching? <laughs> so I just well, okay. We we've never shied away from breaking the fourth wall here, right? No. Um, we'll we'll do a peek behind the curtain here. So I think uh, I mean at least what I've done, and I'm pretty sure what you've done as well, is we've just like thought of the. All of the things that we've watched in the past week since the last time we recorded, or maybe a little bit before then too, and we've like portioned them out uh-huh. um, in four parts <laughs> so that we st- we have things to talk about for every for for each we, of these episodes. Because <laughs> schedules have made it so that we can only record once a month. However. Yeah. We can't get rid of our favorite segment. No, but you know, I this is like exact circumstance probably won't happen again where we're recording four episodes, but it's only been a week since we recorded because next time we record it will have been four weeks. So we will so, have four weeks of content to report on. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Um, but yes, you, you asked what I... What I have saved to talk about <laughs> this episode. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend a movie that is on Hulu that came out September 22nd. Nice. It's called No One Will Save You. And it is an alien home invasion horror movie. Ooh. Starring Caitlin Deaver. And that by itself like yes i'm sold um it also has like a lot of like really cool like references and homage to like some classic horror and alien films and what i think is like the like most inventive thing about it there's no dialogue in this movie oh there's well there's one line of dialogue that's like three words cool but yeah the rest of the movie no dialogue and it's it took me like it probably took me like 20 or 30 minutes to realize that when I was watching it because it's so, it's so like, oh, so like, I mean, like there's sound in the movie, of course, like there's music, there's, you know, practical sounds, but also just like, it's so immersive in the story that like, you don't need dialogue cool for the story to be told. It's really, Yeah. I want to watch this. So yes, that sounds go great. watch that. No one will save you. Okay. I follow Guillermo del Toro on Twitter or X, uh-huh. and he has been tweeting or posting about this movie <laughs> <laughs> like a lot. So it has Guillermo's uh, stamp of approval. If you needed more awesome. incentive to watch it, um, yeah. So you know, like very much in the spooky spooky season vein. I also read a book that was very spooky that's called Madam by oh shoot I forget the author's name um 
I think her first name is Phoebe, <laughs> if that helps. By Phoebe. <laughs> By Phoebe. Uh, Phoebe Buffet. Yeah. So this was a, a gothic horror thriller, kind of. It actually takes place at a creepy school, kind of like Wednesday. Nice. Um, yeah. So the main character is a teacher. She gets this job teaching Latin at an all-girls school. So, you know, like, it's a very, you know, prestigious boarding school. Yeah. But there's some dark secrets at this school. And it's very creepy. And there's, like, creepy teenage girls. Love it. Love it. Love it, love it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, like, this, you know, remote Scottish town um, and yeah. this, and the school is in like this old decrepit castle, and yes, very moody cool. and atmospheric, and yeah, it was a fun, spooky read. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, go read that. What are you enjoying in the past so, ten minutes? <laughs> in the past ten minutes, so there's this TV series called Alone. Uh huh. I think I've heard of this. Where it's like survivalists and they're all competing for like $500,000 or something Is that ridiculous. the one where, oh, I might be getting it mixed up with um, Naked and Afraid. Yes. <laughs> they're not A naked common, and alone, are they? They're not. Okay. Because I think they would, they're, they're placed into such, like, such intense temperatures that I think uh-huh. they would honestly die if they were nude okay. as well. So, okay. like, all these actual survivalists, and it's really, like... As much as it is a reality show, a lot of the frills are taken out of it. And so it Mm. really is just like these humans in like a tundra somewhere trying to survive. And is it like when Michael Scott makes his Survivor Man video? (laughs) I've fashioned these. Oh, this is a good cut of fabric. (laughs) I made a kerchief to keep my neck. Nice and warm. And And then later he takes it off and tries to put it back on. He puts his pants back together. (laughs) And then I've also just been watching Adventure Time. Uh-huh. And Adventure Time does a really, really wonderful job of displaying like a lesbian relationship where that's not the thing that it's doing. It's not like, look, it's lesbians. It's mm-hmm. like these two <laughs> characters love each other. Look, it's um, lesbians. <laughs> and I actually think that's really important, especially for something for children. Uh-huh. And maybe highlighting it proves that we didn't have as much of that when like I was growing up and maybe there's more of that now, but I do think any time that, that we tell authentic stories and they're for children, I'm a fan. So yay. yeah. I think there's a lot of things that were not normalized when we were kids, but are being normalized for kids now. Yeah. Mostly because of like people in our generation who have like worked really hard to make that happen yeah so yeah that's interesting 13 year old aaron could have used adventure time so Mm. (laughs) thanks for making it well should we talk about the adams family and wednesday yes if you really want to (laughs) so as mentioned last week previously on pop dna on pop dna the adams family (laughs) I think is a franchise. 
Yeah. That's how long I've been watching this that I was bummed I couldn't snap the first Aww. time that I watched it. I was like six yeah. years old and I was like, I can't snap. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, like, I, I knew I, I knew that song as a kid, even though, like, I wasn't super into Adam's Family. Like, that song was everywhere, I think, because of the movies. Yeah. That it kind of, like, brought that back into cultural consciousness. And anyway. It's, it's pretty catchy, too. It is. Like, it's, it's pretty good. Um, and you know, within the first few chords, you know what it is. Yeah. So, I think that the Adam's Family is kind of a master class in how to change a story or make it um, in compelling across different media. Mm, yeah. And I, I think we see that pretty clearly here. Again, um, we talked about this last week, but this has spanned 1938 to 2024. And it's mm. like... And still going. And it's with still, Wednesday. still going. And so there's something about these characters that we're we're still into that we were into and we continue to be and the very first mr charles adams wrote the adams family and it began as a weekly cartoon series in the new yorker and there were some like little changes there so thing was originally the thing Mm -hmm. and it was an unseen presence which would interact with the family Mm. um before we had our, our little hand uh-huh. that walked around like well, a it's spider. interesting what, like, I'll get into this when I talk about it a little bit later, but uh, it's interesting, like, how Thing has, like, developed as a character, which we don't oh, really think Oh, I love it. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> the research that I did, and I, like, fact-checked this, it appeared that, because <laughs> this didn't seem possible, but it, it appeared that the series lasted from 38 to 88, um, which was when right. the creator passed away. So, like, I'm wondering if there were like some, like maybe there were some gaps in that, or like maybe after like a certain point, he would he would only do like a you know like a special one right. every once in a while or something. I think that's really likely, especially like 88 was the year that he passed away. Right. So, like. Maybe there was like some more sporadic releasing, or maybe mm-hmm. like he had like never used a few of them, so they like published them um, sure, posthumously yeah. or whatever. But not wanting to diminish either 50 years yeah. of a comic series. Yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting that The New Yorker like does have all of those classic cartoons that they still do to this day. And they Mm -hmm. have like caption contests and they're always black and white. And so I think a lot of that, um, those humorous comics have their history in the Adams family as well. Well, and think about like other, like, like news, you know, like newspaper comic strip. Yeah. That are about families. So you have like family circus and uh blondie uh yeah they're, i was thinking like the ones that i used to read when i was little and i didn't uh-huh. understand them at all but i would look at them <laughs> yeah in the paper um yeah there are a lot of those that were about family interesting. yeah or like human existence like kathy oh kathy ack <laughs> oh Ack. i maybe like a year ago i listened to a podcast like a limited series podcast about the kathy 
comic strip that was done by uh, Jamie Loftus of the Bechtel cast. Um, it was really good. Yeah. You should go listen to it. I don't remember what um, it was called, but I'm sure if you just like, you, yeah, you'll be able to find it. <laughs> I love a weekly comic. I really mm-hmm. do. I think they're so fun. Yeah, it just, uh, I really wanted to highlight these like roots for our good Adams family. There were, in the end, there were 150 comics of the Adams. So it definitely did become more sporadic, but. Mm-hmm. And then we had the, of course, the black and white television series, The Adams Family, in 1964, which was kind of, it's funny to say it, but it kind of was your run of the mill generic family show, but they were the Adams. Right. But I. I yeah, they well, and I think, that... like, I mean, at least I, if I'm remembering correctly from something that I was reading about Adam's family, like, a while ago, um, like, Charles Adams intended this to be, like, a humorous subversion of the stereotype of the American yeah. family, which is why, like, the way that everyone in the family relates to each other is, like the opposite of like the stereotypical like sitcom family right like morticia and gomez are super into each other as opposed to (laughs) like in like you know other sitcoms where it's funny that the husband and the wife hate each other right like it's the opposite yeah i think that's an interesting aspect of it and you get a lot of like wednesday and pugsley are doing weird things instead of like Go and it's get like, a paper route. Right. It's like the dark mirror version of Leave it to Beaver. Like <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and I think it's funny to see how in 1964 it's still like so tame. <laughs> it's so yeah. like, it's almost like the beavers just put on Halloween costumes or something. Like it's yeah. very, <laughs> it's cute to see. Oh. Just what was, like, subverting the norm then Mm -hmm. versus kind of, like, where it goes. Um, I think it's really cute that the 70s really, really embraced the Addams Family. So Mm -hmm. there's two different things that happen in 1973. We get Addams Family Fun House, which was just a televised (laughs) special. Um, The 70s loved, like, a special, a Mm -hmm. themed television event um and like that's the star wars holiday special <laughs> exactly very very much so um <laughs> but it's also interesting year. to think about like what else was happening in the early 70s because like like scooby-doo was huge <laughs> yeah. in the early 70s yeah. and it and so i kind of wonder if like if the idea of like doing these adams family specials in the early 70s was kind of a response to that yeah pop like like the popularity of that kind of uh uh story in pop culture at the time i don't know i no i think it definitely was because the animated series in the same year is uh-huh. done by Hannah Barbera and like okay. it looks with the color schemes used, with the the character drawings, it looks like it could just be a part of uh, Scooby Doo for okay. sure. Or like so the I, Flintstones yeah. or the Jetsons, right? Like those were also yeah. both. You know, it uh, 
in a way, kind of subversions or twists on the typical American family. So, yeah, the Adams family, I think, fits right in with that. So, And it says in the early 70s that the comic strip was also running weekly. So okay. we had... We had maximum atoms <laughs> in, and you know, at 38 to 73, that's already, you know, a handful of years mm-hmm. for something to still be going strong. Um, and then we get <laughs> nothing in the 80s, which I think is, well, mm-hmm. we get like the comic strip a little bit, but we don't get yeah. anything. That's to say, we don't get anything new in the 80s. Um, right. Probably because they have so many other exciting things going on. And, you know, the 80s are a big time. Um, But we start to get our movies in the 90s. So we get The Addams Family in 1991. The famous... So in this one... Because I get them confused sometimes. So Mm -hmm. the 91 was Fester marries Joan Cusack. And then we realize she's Mm -hmm. evil. So Fester is actually the first family member to have a relationship with a normie and it actually goes horribly wrong for him so (laughs) uh she just wants him for his money which is a little weird fester has Um, money what (laughs) this is i feel like she took i feel like she wasn't a good like judge of of monetary value because i think she she saw the two decker house and thought oh they for sure have money but they no. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the 94, which is my favorite, uh-huh. the Adams Family Values, where Wednesday and Puxley get a new sibling, Pubert, mm-hmm. and then um, they go to summer camp where, like I mentioned last episode, Wednesday meets Lucas Beinecke, mm-hmm. and they fall in 13-year-old like yeah. of one another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's very much like they have this moment as they're leaving um, where they're like not going to be obviously because they're 13, which is maybe something we should look back at now because sometimes in our media, it's like, okay, we're in love. We're great. It's like, no, they're <laughs> they're kind of young kids. But um, Lucas Beinecke has never felt... Um, at home in his family and Wednesday doesn't really feel at home in the world and so they kind of relate to one another um, it's my favorite thing in the world um, love I this movie watch that it's so good I need to watch um, that one I've seen the the first movie the 1991 movie like I've, I've probably rewatched that once every couple of years like habitually but yeah, yeah, I haven't I haven't rewatched the Adams Family Values in quite a while. So in the in the that. end, <laughs> they're doing a Thanksgiving pageant that's really uh-huh. problematic at the yeah. camp, and Wednesday burns it down. Uh-huh. Well, I she kind of has so a much. very similar moment in Wednesday when they're at the like the like pilgrim village thing and yeah she, yeah that's so yeah it's interesting that they also had that element in there um okay Lo- so i have not seen the 1998 adam's family reunion is it a direct sequel to adam's family values or is it like a different iteration it's a, 
It's a different thing. It's kind okay. of that thing of it's it's that thing of where it's a thing of where um, <laughs> you get to the third movie in a in like a, a series and no one's available from the original series so okay so it you, was you so get it was new in, casting it was intended to be connected on um, yes on um, i believe so okay i believe it was intended to be connection connect connection uh-huh. it, in, it was intended to be connected but they couldn't they didn't get the original cast um so in the originals, like Angelica Houston is, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, my Morticia. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then in the Adams Family reunion, they do get a pretty great cast, though. They get Tim Curry as Gomez. Yeah, I mean, that's perfect. Amazing. And Daryl Hannah as Morticia, which is just kind of like, okay, I guess. Yeah. Um, Although, I mean, Charlize Theron as Morticia is kind of a similar, like, yeah. oh, really? Huh. Okay. But, like, really? I mean, I haven't seen the ones that she is in, but, like, I assume yeah. she would be really great. Like, she's yeah. a great actress. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so we had 91, 94, 98. And then we have a huge jump to 2019 mm-hmm. um, for the Adams Family animated series uh, movie, um, which, yeah, Charlize Theron is Morticia. Oscar Isaac is Gomez. <laughs> um, Chloe Grace that's, Moritz. That's, oh, like, really interesting is that, like, um, you know, like, historically, Gomez has been Latino. Mm-hmm. So, like... And I think was it um it's Raul Julia who plays him in the nineties movies and he yeah. he's Latino. And then you have Oscar Isaac and um Luis Guzman in Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't think that they had cast a Latina actress to play Wednesday until Jenna Ortega. So yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Really important. Um. Yeah. And the Adams Family too is, I think we're yeah. just. Have you seen those? I oh no! Just you said can't. you hadn't. You said you hadn't. That's right. You know, I just I tried. And you know, I think that's fine because, like, obviously they're <laughs> for children. So, like, yeah. if you're, you know, if it's it's not going to be for us because we're grown ups. No, <laughs> so like... <laughs> and that's part of the reason I was like, no, that's okay. Yeah. Um, I even feel my age when I watch Wednesday. If yeah. I'm being so honest, yeah. I even feel a little old. But that's yeah, okay. Same. Um, and that's then why we like, have... I, I'm identifying with the parents and the teachers more in Wednesday than I am with yeah. any of the any of the students, which is probably you know healthy. So. <laughs> which is likely the the thing that right. should be happening um and then we had the musical with nathan lane as gomez bb newworth as morticia and krista rodriguez as wednesday mm-hmm. um and it when was the musical kinda... first staged was i that in saw the 90s it... no it's really new i saw oh, okay. it it I saw like a opening preview of it in Chicago in 2010. Okay. 
kind of right in the middle of uh-huh. everything. And yeah, to and me, it- like, it feels like, so I, I saw the Adams Family musical when you were in it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so to me, it feels more akin to like, well, so you said that it, it kind of carries a plot thread over from the 90s movies. Mm-hmm. But to me, like the tone and the characterization felt more akin to the 60s sitcom yeah. than to those movies, which, you know, is kind of... So it's kind of an interesting amalgamation of different Adams Family iterations. It is because they gave. I definitely see that for sure. They the the like romantic plot is Wednesday and the boy that she meets at summer camp, and but they don't go to summer camp. They just kind of like right after they've gone and they've mm-hmm. met each other. And in in the musical, they met each other in the woods instead of at summer camp. But it's okay. the same character. So it's just kind of like taken all the all the it's puzzle like a, pieces. It's like and... an alternate universe of the, yeah, a little like bit. all the different Adams family media. It's like they're in different universes, right? Or, or yeah. like alternate timelines. It's like they're not connected to each other, but they're just like the same family in different yeah. timelines. I th- I think is how we could think of it. <laughs> yeah. And next next series or next episode I'll get into a little bit about like Wednesday's decisions in each of them mm. and how they're a little bit different, but they all kind of hint at a, a level of like, she's still working on her differentiation, but I digress. Um, right. Right. Cause I mean, yeah. her, you know, in the comics, of course, all of the characters in the comics are very one dimensional, literally because they're just drawn. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> And but then like even in, you know, the 1960s sitcom, like Wednesday is like six or seven years old and is just, at least from what I've seen, she just seems like a very typical sitcom kid. Right. So it really wasn't until Christina Ricci's portrayal that we start to see what we think of as Wednesday's personality really develop. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, I think, to to think about like the different different timelines. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting because Wednesday, like it it really wasn't until like the '90s movies that we have this characterization of Wednesday as like an outsider among normies. Yeah. Because like you know pr- prior to that, she'd only ever been shown as like just a part of her family, really. Yeah. Like thinking of her like as an outsider, I think is like kind of the key to the framing of Wednesday as a Tim Burton work. Yeah. Because like, of course, the the spooky gothic aesthetic of the Adams family, like, yes, that definitely fits Tim Burton's aesthetic. But I think deeper than that is this idea of the story of an outsider is what Tim Burton, like that's the story that he seems to keep telling over and over. Yeah. Okay. So question, Aaron, Uh what is your favorite Tim Burton movie? (laughs) Ooh, gosh, it might be. Oh no. You answer first. I don't know. (laughs) You can't pick. I think What's your favorite. Yeah, I think mine is still Sleepy Hollow because that's uh-huh. definitely the one that I 
rewatch the most, like almost every year. Although, you know, it is kind of difficult to watch anything with Johnny Depp now that we know (laughs) what a horrible person he is. And he's in a lot of Tim Burton movies. I know. So that's disappointing. But yeah, I would say Sleepy Hollow. I think I'm an even split Edward Scissorhands and Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. Those are my two favorites. Well, it's interesting. Nightmare Before Christmas, Tim Burton did not direct it. And he also, um, he wrote like a story treatment, but he didn't actually write the screenplay. So he's mostly just involved as a producer. But But I think it's so interesting that so many of us think of Nightmare Before Christmas as a Tim Burton movie. And that's almost like... Like not like even the his. platonic yeah. ideal of a Tim Burton movie, <laughs> what like so many of us think of, but it's the one that he's he was like the least involved with, which is very yeah. interesting. And oh. that's even why I paused because I <laughs> right, was like, right, right. yeah, um, I was I was walking in uh, my neighborhood the other day, and there's a house that's like totally decorated for Halloween, and they have a giant Jack Skellington in their yard. And I was like, yes, nice, love it. Um, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no, like, it's totally, I mean, it is a Tim Burton movie. Like, without Nightmare Before Christmas, we maybe would not have the same cultural idea of Tim Burton as we do now. Yeah. Um, Even though, like, there were things that he did before that that I think are definitely, like, Beetlejuice. Yeah. And Edward Scissorhands are very, like, iconic Tim Burton. Yeah, I loved Edward Scissorhands, too. Yeah. And Corpse Bride. I, oh, absolutely. I really dug yeah. Corpse Bride, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do feel like a lot of his movies after Corpse Bride did start to dip a little bit. I don't know. I don't know how you feel I about that. I can't even think of the other, like, the more recent Well, like ones. his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, see. His, I Actually, I did enjoy his Sweeney Todd. Okay. But then, like, his Alice in Wonderland, and then he did that weird Dark Shadows movie. Oh, I was like, see. And, and he did the Dumbo remake in 2019. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I'm like, eh. Yeah. I'm not allowed know. to watch the Dumbo remake because it terrorized me as a child. Oh, yeah. You might be fine with this, though, because you're a grown-up now. <laughs> Remember when know. you rewatched The Ring and you were like, this is so stupid. Why was I scared of this? But I think Dumbo, it would be the like, same broke thing. my heart. Dumbo was less <laughs> okay. I'm terrified of it and more like, how could they be so mean to this sweet yeah. elephant? Yeah. I don't, myself as a human, I don't recognize the more recent Willy Wonka. I think in my world, there's only one. Well, it's there's not even Willy Wonka. Much. It's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. See, exactly. I just Which is what the title of the book is. I just so don't recognize that, that I mean, it is actually, I mean... As a, like, self-identified literature snob, um, (laughs) the the Tim Burton, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, if we want to use adherence to source material as a a point of discussion, it is actually a closer representation of the book than Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which is not to say that that means that it's better by any yeah. means but like i j- well, just think cool that's interesting to know. Yeah. yeah but but still kind of left 
something. And I mean, part of it could be that like, by the time I saw, you know, like these later movies, I was older Mm -hmm. and maybe wasn't as, wasn't as, it's kind of like, you know how when we were talking about um, Wes Anderson movies and you were saying that like, you're such a fan of Wes Anderson and of the aesthetic that like, that's kind of what you sort of get wrapped up in when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. I think I was kind of the same way with Tim Burton movies. Uh-huh. So, like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's interesting. So let's talk about Tim Burton. Um, I think it's mostly Johnny <laughs> Depp's hair in that movie. But anyway. In which one? In Charlie and the Chocolate He's in, like, over half he's in of all, of all them. Tim Burton movies. Yeah, Charlie really and the Chocolate Factory. Disappointing. Yeah, yeah how and he has the like, it's like a helmet uh, bob. I <laughs> uh, just no, thank you. <laughs> so disturbing. Even leaving off, even you know, apart from like his real life, you know, disturbing person that he is. Like, yeah, yeah the character is like. Anyway, so let's talk about. Well, that actor's just been resting on his laurels for like a long time. But he's anyway. been phoning it in. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was going to bring this up, actually, as well. So, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia. So, like, I love that in theory. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like she was phoning it in a little bit. Thank you. Okay. Part of it could be direction. Uh Uh-huh. No, for sure. But, yeah. No. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, see, and I had chalked that up to my bias that Angelica Houston is my Morticia. Yeah. But, and I see where it could have been a directional thing. Yeah. But I, I agree. I definitely felt that in the performance. But yeah, I mean, like, in, in theory, that seems like that would be great, right? Right. I don't know. And you know what? Good for you. You've been working. <laughs> Good, Good for you. For you. <laughs> You know, they could have just had uh, Oscar Isaac and Charlize Theron again. Yeah. For, for sure. Wednesday. That would have been good. But they're probably yeah. would cost too much. Because <laughs> they're like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about Tim Burton. Okay. Yeah. So I put into our notes, I put um, a photo. Um, I don't know yeah. if you had a chance to take a look at that. I did. So we'll post this on our Instagram. Um, so this is a, a Halloween costume that Tim Burton designed. I want to say like sometime in the 60s. So he was born in the late 50s. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, this is probably sometime in the 60s. He designed his Halloween costume and his mom made it for him. And it's I love it. very clearly a precursor to Jack Skellington. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty obvious. There's like the like cartoonish skeleton head. The top hat, like, yeah, very clear. So I'm um, just digging a little bit into um, his aesthetic style and and where that came from and how it developed. So he actually got his start working as an animator for Walt Disney Studios. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, and so he actually he pitched a few different projects at Walt Disney Studios in the 80s that didn't get made. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, he actually originally pitched what would become Nightmare Before Christmas, but that like got rejected. It's very okay. And now that's like, I mean, I think that that's still somehow connected to Disney, isn't it? 
I don't I think know. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he grew up in a very like like what we think of as like the idyllic suburban like okay. neighborhood, very much like the neighborhood in Edward Scissorhands. Like yeah, <laughs> that's where he grew up. But he was influenced by a lot of different things, like um, German expressionism. Um, sure. Is probably like the major the major art style that he absorbed as he was growing up that really influenced him, which expressionism was like starting to develop in like the 1920s in Europe, and it was very heavily influenced by um, psychotherapy, which was a very new field of study at the time. Yeah. Which I think is super interesting. So when you see like expressionist film or expressionist art in like a cinematic context, what you'll often see is that like there's this feeling of like dreamlike, like a dreamlike feeling. Um, There's like very surreal and those like feelings often are manifested in a way that causes like kind of a psychological tension it, it causes tension for the viewer rather than like right. being purely whimsical so that was like one of his big influences he was also a huge fan of vincent price when he was a child which if you know anything about vincent price that absolutely makes sense right right yeah absolutely like i think bill Hader did a vincent price sketch on snl yeah. so like, which is like my frame of reference for vincent price but um, <laughs> yeah so like that clearly shows up in his art style and in, and in his aesthetic and then he is also a big fan of edgar Allan poe so of course like and then it's interesting that um edgar Allan poe is an alumnus of nevermore academy in in Wednesday. Love it. Yeah. So, like, he has Vincent Price. He has German Expressionism. He has Edgar Allan Poe. He loves skeletons and cemeteries. Um, so, obviously, like, there's a lot of, you know, gothic inspiration there. So, he was the first person to ask, how do I get a career as a Poe? How do I get and a career as a Poe? was really following in Tim Burton's <laughs> footsteps. He really was. Um, sure. <laughs> But like I mentioned, he grew up in this very, like, quintessential suburban neighborhood in California. So he is constantly uh, dealing with the juxtaposition between, like, his interests in all of these gothic and kind of macabre versus, like, this very sunshine and rainbows place where he lives. So we start to see that juxtaposition come out in a lot of his works. So, I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas, you have Halloween and Christmas, like uh-huh. Those kind of the two sides of Tim Burton's personality, right? Yeah. <laughs> um even in like his Sweeney Todd adaptation, which, you know, is based on an existing musical, but its themes very much are in line with that because, you know, it's you have this front of like this respectable barbershop but then like Sweeney Todd's a serial killer right and then like also in Beetlejuice where you have again a very like seemingly normal suburban setting and then like you have Beetlejuice coming into that I think it's super interesting also how a lot of his work deals with like Americana 
Like, yeah. you see, of course, in Wednesday, there's, like, the legacy of, like, the Salem Witch Trials, which is, it's so so part of our, like, cultural ethos, right? Um, yeah. And then, like, in Sleepy Hollow, that's a classic American story. And then, you know, with with all of his work that kind of deals with, like, the ideal of the suburban neighborhood, which is a very American, like the American dream, right? Yeah. So I think it's super interesting that you see that coming up in his work a lot as well, that it's like a distinctly American, much like yeah. the Adams family, which was like a subversion of the of the stereotypical American family. Like that's what Tim Burton has been doing um, for a lot of his work. Yeah. And, and I think that so matches like what we said Charles Adams was doing. And so it makes a lot of sense that the two would unite. These two would come together. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, like I mentioned or alluded to earlier, his, um, he's often drawn to the stories of outsiders. Yeah. So of course we have like Lydia and Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands are both very much outsiders. And then telling Wednesday's story as the story of an outsider seems to resonate with with Burton's work. And a lot of the background on Burton's aesthetic style, I kind of synthesized um, in an article for Vox, which I will link so you can read about that background. There is this article for The Hollywood Reporter that interviewed um, Alfred Goff or Guff however you say it, and Miles Millar, (laughs) who are the showrunners of Wednesday. Yeah. um, Kind of about, like, their process of bringing Tim Burton in to executive produce alongside them and direct four episodes. So they're, yeah, so, like, they're talking about how, you know, the, the idea of an outsider story resonates with Tim Burton. You have Wednesday Adams, you know, of course, first created in the 1930s. So in creating the visual style, this goes on to say, an Adams family feel that has the distinct imprint of Tim Burton, the team went back to Charles Adams' drawings for inspiration rather than film or TV adaptations. I love that. Yeah, because it really feels like that's, you know, going back to the source. Um, This quotes the production designer, Mark Scruton, who says, The cartoons are very spare in their illustrative style, which suits Tim's aesthetic quite well. He likes things very minimal and specific rather than broad and cluttered. Yeah. Um, This points out that he he also worked with Tim Burton on Miss, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children in 2016, which now that I think about it actually, is actually a like precursor to Wednesday because it's sure. like a school for weird kids. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and this points out for those looking for nods to Burton, the Weathervane Cafe in Nevermore's nearby town of Jericho has weather vanes on the wall with Burton-esque elements from his films or illustrations. Oh. Um, he worked with uh, a lot of his longtime collaborators, costume designer Colleen Atwood, who's like legendary. Um, yeah. She designed costumes for Sleepy Hollow. She's in a lot of period films. We also have longtime Tim Burton collaborator Danny Elfman doing the score. Yeah. 
So this uh, says that he really leaned into Bach for inspiration. He says, I wanted it to sound somewhat classical, but also a little darker and more aggressive in tone. He used cello, which is the instrument that Wednesday plays. And then he also, he says, for my own pleasure, I wanted to use harpsichord as an homage (laughs) to the original. And then I think that you do kind of hear at certain points, you hear like kind of an echo of that original Adam's Family theme song in there. So like he's clearly, you know, drawing on like this, this very rich history of, of music in the context of Adam's Family. So well, and his collab- Danny Elfman's collaboration with Tim Burton is really my favorite it's part of a legendary. lot of Tim Burton's stuff. Yeah. So like <laughs> when I earlier when I was talking about Nightmare Before Christmas, I had this thought that really Nightmare Before Christmas is a Danny Elfman film. It really is. Yeah. The music is what makes it what it is uh-huh. to me. The melancholy, the expressions of desire and longing in the music. And so I think my favorite parts of Wednesday are also in the music uh, that Danny Elfman is making for it. And it's so, like, the I mean, this is true of any, you know, TV show or film, but, like, the music does so much, like, world building and does so much to set the tone that, like, you can't, you know, like I, you know, I was talking about um, No One Will Save You, like, the music in that does so much of yeah. the work and you really notice it in that movie because there's no dialogue to like distract you from it. So for yeah, sure. Music music is huge. It makes a huge music difference. makes the people music come makes together. the people come together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quoting a little Madonna there. And then there's also um, if God is a DJ, life is a dance floor. Yeah. Love is the rhythm and you are the music. So <laughs> see, these are the contexts. Pink. We love it. <laughs> yeah. So yes. Wednesday is both an Adams family work and a Tim Burton work. Yeah. It is coming together of the two. Just love the it. marriage of the two. <laughs> Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love which alters when an alteration binds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh, no, it is a never fixed mark. Okay, that's fine. We don't, I don't no, need to recite the whole thing. No, it's Tim Burton. It's <laughs> yeah. I really, I just want to say, like, I've always been fascinated with Tim Burton, but mm-hmm. I've never, like, known anything about him. So uh-huh. thank you for, like... Thank you for being also interested in that because yeah. I think that's just think, fascinating. You know, I think that we all knew a girl in high school who basically dressed like a Tim Burton character. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, and I was always friends with her. <laughs> I think sometimes I was her. I don't think I ever was. I think sometimes I still am her. Maybe. I think I have because I'm bubbly. People ignore like the the like emo to gothic elements of of my psyche but they're there Hmm. are you bubbly to mask that aspect of yourself thousand percent yeah yeah but we'll come back next week (laughs) we'll come back next week to even more with more therapy 
Oh, no, you're not talking no. about... Are you talking about therapy next week? Yes, you are. I'm having okay. both of them, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, join us again on Wednesday. Wednesday. And follow on Instagram. We'll have actual things on This there. time we'll have we things. We will. We promise. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye.